0: Scripture reading this morning to be found in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. If you want to follow along in your pew Bibles in front of you, that would be found on page 881, and I'll be reading from the new King James Version. It's Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father." and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Good morning. It is so good to be able to be here with you this morning. It is so good to be able to to have this opportunity to worship our Lord, to be able to come together and open up our, our hearts and open up our mouths in praise to our Lord, to fellowship with one another. Man, how wonderful it is to be able to look across this audience and see so many individuals who are here for Him and who are here for one another. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're especially thankful for you. We're so glad that you've come to be with us this morning. We invite you to come back at any and every opportunity. You are our honored guests. And I hope that we can be as much of a blessing to you and encouragement to you as you have been to us already just by being here. If you will, after services, stick around a little bit. If you're visiting with us, talk to the members here. Your members here, talk to each other, talk to the visitors here, get to know each other. I know that if you are visiting, you will be able to see the love of God that is in this congregation. Now, I know as you look up, up on the screen, you see the, the title of the lesson is The Consequences of the Great Commission. But as we begin this lesson, I don't want to f- focus on the consequences. What I like to do is to focus upon the fruits of the Great Commission. Now I know that there are many of us who have been called, just as Jesus told his disciples, as he has told his church, as he says right here in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 28, to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I commanded to you. And he says, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In this passage, we see our duty as Christians. In this passage, what we also see is that we are supposed to be going out into the world and proclaiming the Word of God, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, and inviting individuals from the world here. And it may be this morning that you are one of those individuals who are the fruit of the Great Commission that was offered, who are the ones who have been taught, who are the ones who have been invited, who are ones who have been shown, who have been prayed with, who have been studied with. And this morning, if you are one who has been invited, whether whether today or sometime in the past, whether it is you are somebody who has been studied with, who has been brought to this congregation or to the church because of the Great Commission, I'd like for you to stand up, if you will. Nobody? Everybody? You know, I think that we all have had some part in the Great Commission, Whether we were the ones going or we were the ones receiving. What we see through the Great Commission. What we see through the Great Commission is what we're told to do and what we're asked to do. And a lot of times whenever we look at the Great Commission that we have before us this morning. A lot of times what we see is what we're supposed to be doing. And we hear sermon after sermon and very powerful and very good sermons that are telling us what we're supposed to be doing as Christians and we're doing our job and we're doing it very well. What I want you to understand as individuals who are here today, it is our responsibility to continue to fill the pews for the next generation, to continue to go out and do what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, to bring up the next generation of Christians, to continue the church of the Lord. But as we go out and we talk a lot about going, there's a lot of times that we don't talk about the consequences and the effects of the Great Commission. You might be saying, What in the world are you talking about? There are no consequences, there are no bad effects of going out and, and, and fulfilling the Great Commission. But yet, what we see is there are. You see, if we're going out into the world and we're inviting the world into here, what we have happen is that the struggles, the hardships, the dysfunctions, and the addictions that are out in the world are brought right here. And so what was once out into the world is now a part of our congregation. And we have to be willing to see this. We have to be able to see this, these consequences of the Great Commission. And I don't want to scare you. I don't want you to think, well, maybe it's not such a good idea. It's a great idea to go out and to do what the Lord says because he also tells us to be aware of what's going on. And to remain steadfast in his word. And to stand up to the devil whenever he presents himself. I want to thank you this morning for doing your job. I want to thank you this morning for being able to see the church for what it is. And that it is a a hospital for those who are spiritually broken. And it is a rehabilitation center for those, those souls who have been damaged. But I know that you can sit there and you can look to the one who's next to you and you might be able to see the, the pain that is in them. You might know somebody, somebody over here in the Amen section, you might know somebody back here in the other corner who is struggling, who is suffering. But one thing that I want you to see is that even though you may know a few individuals who are hurting spiritually, most of the people here who hurt will never admit it. And what's so sad about this fact is that many times in our lives we'll never know that they're hurting unless they tell us. Even though we share a bond as Christians, even though we have this spiritual bond that ties us all together as brothers and sisters in the Lord, what we see is that whenever we come together as brothers and sisters in the Lord, our our interactions and our communications, unfortunately, well, sometimes they're trivial. And sometimes they're shallow. A lot of this I'm speaking from my own personal experience, not necessarily what I've seen from y'all. But socially, I am kind, of, kind of backwards. Uh, I can't help that too much. I'm sorry. Uh, we go out into the foyer, and a lot of times what we see is the conversations. It's the ones that I had this morning, and I'm sorry. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. How's family? Family's good. How about you, as kids? Kids are good. Man, glad to see you. Hey, see you next time. The average conversation that we have with individuals, with brothers and sisters, is about 15 to 20 seconds. If we have a real conversation and we actually get into it with people, man, it's a minute and a half to two minutes. Normal. That's with visitors coming in. Hey, how are you? My name is Jamie Harper. I'm so glad that you're here. You may have been a member here for 50 years, but I hadn't seen you before. I'm glad you're here. I've, I've experienced that. Kind of embarrassing. Kind of made me say, okay, I don't want to do that again. But I did it anyway. Um, But there's a lot of people who are walking in the doors. Who are about to fall apart at the seams. Who will follow in just like everybody else and will smile and shake a hand. And you'll never see the pain that's inside. But they want you to see it. They want you to see the pain that's in their eyes. What happens in our lives as Christians is that our need for healing is trumped by a desire to fit in. We all want to fit in. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be loved. We all want to be appreciated and nurtured. And for one of us to admit, for one of you to admit and say, hey, how you doing? You know what? I'm not doing too good. See, I'm an alcoholic. And I've been drinking for 20 years. And I've been trying to quit. And it's not been easy. For one of us to say, well you know what, my family is breaking apart, I don't know what to do, I struggle with pornography. For one of us to say, I got a food addiction, I can't control it, and it's affecting my life and I don't know what to do. For one of us to, to come into ourselves and to understand what's going on and to be able to open up enough and to say, hey, I've got a problem. To do that for us in our heads means that we don't fit in anymore. And so we lose the will to find healing. And instead we find peace and acceptance. The danger is of that is the pain is still there. The struggle is still there. But rather than make waves, we sit on the sides and we blend in with everybody else. And it may be in your life right now you're saying, well, you know what? I don't know of anybody else who's going through what I'm going through. Well, I'll tell you, Solomon said in all the wisdom that was given to him by God, there's nothing new under the sun. Whatever is going on in your life today has gone on with somebody else. Whatever is going on in your life over here, somebody over here is affected by the same thing. I want you to be able to see what's going on in the church. I want you to be able to see from a biblical perspective of what's happening. And if you will, turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 2 through 8. Here we see an example. Now, this is not necessarily talking about a congregational setting, but we will see how it will apply here in just a minute. John chapter five, verse two through eight, it says, "Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. Well, in these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters." For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, or made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Well, a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, well, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? Well, the sick man answered him. He said, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water's stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. And you may be wondering, what in the world does this have to do with us? How can this be associated with our church, with our congregation? But what we have to see is this man who sat there in that place. He was there and he knew that he was in the place of the afflicted, knowing that right there in front of him was the cure. But rather than ask for help for those that were around him, many of those who he considered even less afflicted than himself, he watched as everybody else went ahead of him. When it comes to the church, to the congregation, to the ecclesia, we gather to worship, we fellowship, we encourage, we exhort, we uplift. We also come together and we build up one another in Christ. We pray for one another and we help each other to have a closer relationship with God. We're all here for the same purpose. None of us are the Christian that we want to be. And what we find so many times in our lives is we sit here in the place of the afflicted knowing that we're in the presence of the cure and we make excuses as to why we don't have the relationship with God that we ought to have. And you know, what we find in our lives is we get so caught up in the physical illness, the sickness that we can see, that we can touch, that we can, that, that we have right in front of us, that we forget about the emotional, we forget about the spiritual sickness, the sickness that hides in the church. A person may have suffered with this, this spiritual illness for 38 years and never made it on the sick list. And It might be they never made it on the sick list because they never seen themselves worthy enough to be put on it. We have to be able to remind each other that it's okay to be here and to seek help here. We have to be able to remind each other you're not going to be rejected. You're going to find love. You're going to find Christ saying, do you want to be healed? Do you want to get better? In the church, what we see, what we try to not acknowledge a lot of times is the actual struggles Hardships, dysfunctions and addictions that really take place right here among our members. What we see if you go to the next slide, if you can read that, it's estimated up to 15 percent of the U.S. population. This is over 30 million people have personality disorders. This is talking about codependency, obsessive-compulsive disorder. They're antisocial. Kind of like me, a perfectionist. Depression—it's called a common cold of emotional disorder. They affect up to 20 percent of the U.S. population sometime in their lives. With women being twice as likely as men to suffer from depression, and what the what the statistics say is 19 million Americans will suffer some form of depression every year. Five percent of the adult population is bipolar. Five percent of the of the population of the united states suffer with an eating disorder whether it's anorexia bulimia binge eating or a food addiction a lot of times we don't associate this with normal everyday struggles that we have here in the church but rather whenever we see struggles we see hardships dysfunctions and addictions we go to alcohol and we go to we go to we go to drug addictions and we'll talk about that too slightly more than half of Americans age 12 or older reported being consumers of alcohol. 51.8% of Americans say that they're current consumers of alcohol. And of those polled, in 2010, the rates of current alcohol users were 3.1% among people age 12 to 13. Now, how many kids do we have, kids? I'm sorry. How many young teenagers almost teenagers do we have in here that are 12 to 13 years old? 15, 20, 30? Well, if that's the case, maybe one to two of them are current consumers of alcohol. And you may think that's crazy. Well, no, it's not. I was one of them. We go on, we continue, we can look, and we can see that 12.4% of persons aged 14 to 15 are current consumers of alcohol, 24.6% of 16 to 17-year-olds, 48.9% of those aged 18 to 20, 70% of 21 to 25-year-olds, and the list just keeps growing as, as, as we get older, as it becomes more accepted. You may think, where do these statistics come from? It comes from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. They go out and they poll over 240,000 people every year. And what we find is pretty dead on. We go to drug abuse. 18.9% of Americans currently use illicit drugs. In 2010, an estimated 30 million people age 12 or older used illicit drugs for the first time within the past 12 months. Now look at this. Look at that. This averages to about 8,100 people who use drugs for the first time every day. Every day. And we look at these things. We look at these disorders. We look at these dysfunctions, these addictions. And this is not even touching what we have. the, The most profound problem that we have in the church was the sexual addiction. Whether it's addiction to pornography, whether it's addiction to sex, whether it's homosexuality, it's things that we don't necessarily want to talk about, but it's here. And we have to understand the effect that it's having. And we have to speak it into existence. If the population of our pews is representative of what's going on out in the world, and if we're doing our job of fulfilling the Great Commission, there are consequences to go along with it. And we have to, to be able to address these problems and to be able to see that out of a congregation of about a 1,000 people, you got 509 here this morning. Well, that kind of freaks me out a little bit. Of a congregation of a 1,000 people, 150 of us suffer with personality disorder. 200 of us suffer from depression. 50 of us have an eating disorder. 500 of us drink. Ninety of us currently use drugs. And eight of us either already have or will sometime today use drugs for the first time today. You add all that up, it's 998 people. Now you take into account the comorbidity. And what the comorbidity is, is the combination of the dysfunctions and the addictions. Or someone who is suffering from, suffering from depression will most likely also suffer from alcoholism or some kind of drug use. Or somebody who is suffering from alcoholism will also suffer some kind, of, some kind of other disorder, whether it's an eating disorder or something else. We have to be able to put all this in and account for that. If you want to do that, maybe we can take 25% of the individuals out and say, well, okay, maybe out of a congregation of 1,000, 749 of them are actually struggling. Okay, if you want to do that, we've got 500 here right now, so that means only about 150 of you are okay. Whenever you come in in the morning and you say, Oh, I'm doing great, you actually are. But the rest of us, not so much. The stigma around recovery is that it's only for alcoholics and addicts, but it's not. We could go to Romans chapter 6 and verse 15. For what I'm doing, Paul says, I don't understand. For I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. We're all sin addicts. We're all addicted to sin. We all struggle with something. Something. But many of us, we don't want to admit it. There's so many people stepping inside the church. There's so many people who come to church but never come to Christ. There are so many people who are coming in the building on you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, knowing very well that they're at their own pool of Bethesda, but yet they're not sure if they want to take that step into finding healing. Whether it's shame, whether it's guilt, fear, pride, you know it might even be that you're comfortable in your struggle. You sit to the side of the pool instead of stepping in the water. We need somebody to see our pain and say, hey, do you want to get well? We as a congregation have to open our eyes up to the struggles that are going on all around us. We as a congregation have to be a little bit willing to get uncomfortable in order to allow people the healing that they need. Now, some of the uncomfortableness that we're going to have to go through as a congregation may come from knowing that the people around us who struggle, they aren't the ones that are coming in from the world. They're the ones who have been around us our whole lives and who have helped us, who have supported us, but who have struggled the whole time. As a recovery ministry leader, one of the things that I'm able to do is talk to people from all over the country about what's going on in the church and what's going on in individuals' lives. I've talked to a lot of people over the past couple of years. About six months ago, I got a call from a lady. I said, Jamie, I don't know where else to go. I don't know what to do. I'm struggling, and I don't have anybody I can talk to. I said, well, do you have a, a, a good church congregation that you can go to? She said, Jamie, I'm a secretary at the local church, and I can't talk to the people. I wish I could, but they just don't understand. She said, I've gone to AA meetings. She wasn't an alcoholic. She said, I've gone to support groups. I'm not an addict. She's not addicted to drugs. The problem that she has was with overeating. She didn't want to go out and talk to individuals who didn't understand her struggle. She didn't want to talk to individuals who would look at her like she was crazy. She didn't need another self-help program. She needed something spiritual and she couldn't find it in the church. About nine months ago, I got a call from a gentleman. And he said, Jamie, I just want somebody to be able to relate to me. Okay, I don't know if I can. He said, yeah, I don't know if you can either. I've been preaching for 30 years. Last month, I was let go because of the struggles in my life. He said, I'm not an addict. He said, I don't have a drug problem. I don't have any sexual addictions. I don't have any alcohol problems. He said, I suffered from depression. And they couldn't handle it. They didn't know what to do with it. So they let me go. And now I sunk into a deeper depression. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what's going to happen to my life. Instead of getting him the help they needed, they let him go. Many times within the leadership, or even the front offices of the church, Weakness is there. Struggle is there. Many times, with that weakness, it's seen as a crime instead of support, a need of support, instead of a need for help. A lot of times, that same mentality passes on to the congregation. About four months ago, I got a call from a lady. She's well regarded in her community and her congregation. And she started talking about the people she hung around with. I was like, man, really? I mean, it was these well-known people in the church. I was like, wow, it must be so awesome to have these people to rely on, to be able to come to for support whenever you need it. She said, honestly, no, it's not. Because I can't talk to them. What? I'd love to have the opportunity to sit down with these individuals. She said, well, Jamie, you don't understand. You see, I've been in an abusive relationship, an abusive marriage for the past 15 years. Physical, mental abuse. And the reason I can't talk to these people is because my husband's the preacher. I grew up in an abusive home. She said, I grew up watching this happen. The physical, the mental abuse from my dad toward my mom, from my dad toward the kids. And with all of this going on, I couldn't talk to anybody because my dad was the preacher. We see the effects that the world has in the church. And we have to be able to open up our eyes and to see that nobody is immune. We all struggle with something. What are you going to do about it? You're all at the pool of Bethesda. Are you going to keep making up excuses or are you going to step in? People come to the place where healing should begin. People come to the place where the only place in the whole world where it should be okay to be broken. But we can't find anybody to help. So we sit here and we fill the pews. Spiritually sick and we hurt. Now there's a good friend. A good friend of mine. Grew up in the church. I tell you, our, the prayers... All the prayers, the communion, they'd start walking up, and, and he'd be presiding. I'd say, yes. I mean, it wasn't nothing like it was anything spectacular, but he was real in his prayers. He was honest with in his prayers. He was honest with his conversations with God. And it was just like, okay, he's going to begin this prayer, and this is going to set the tone for this communion. He's going to say opening prayer and it's going to set the tone for the worship. He's going to say the closing prayer. It's going to set the tone for the day. He had such an impact on so many individuals spiritually. But yet he had things going on in his head that nobody knew about. A lot of times he came to me talking about the things that went on in his life and we studied and we talked and we prayed. We did for hours at a time Sometimes. But there was pain in his life that he never talked about. He surrounded himself with godly people and he was about the father's business every day of his life trying to drown out the sounds of the voices in his head to the point that after he took his own life, took six people to fill his shoes in the church. You know, we see the people that are around us that are hurting. What are we doing to help we go to Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 10, and we see from the prophet so many hundreds of years ago talking about what we're going through right now in the church. And we see what he says in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 10. He says, Who among you, that, who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. And we sit there and we think, How can anyone trust in the Lord? How can anyone fear the Lord? How can anybody obey the voice of Jesus and yet walk in darkness and have no light? But how many of you are there? How many of you fear the Lord who obey the voice of Jesus, who read the Bible and look at God's Word and love it and eat it, but there is no light at the end of the tunnel? How many of you are hurting to that point? How many of you have ever been there? I beg you, trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon your God and rely upon the individuals who are here to help you. So many times we go off and we find we find our friendships and the struggles and the hardships and the dysfunctions and the addictions of our lives because they never let us down. They never leave our side. In the good times, man, we have a drink to celebrate. In bad times, we have a pill to cope. In times whenever we're sexually frustrated, we turn on the computer and see what comes up. Just type in a word. Or we give somebody else a call who will fulfill the needs that we have. Worldly peace is a second away. Your worldly peace is a minute away. Your worldly peace is an hour away. And you know it. You've been there. You've experienced it. But that worldly peace is what keeps us separate from God. This worldly peace separates us from God, not his love. I want you to understand that so many of us feel like we're worthless. We can't come to God. He don't love me anymore because of what I've done. He's never stopped loving you. Think of the worst place that you've been in your life, the worst time that you've been, the most separated that you've ever been from God. That's whenever Christ died for you. You're never separated from his love. What you're separated from is his peace. And we can see that, that action, how we're never separated from his love, but we're separated from his peace as we go back and we look at Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 3, we know that this, well, many of us know that this is the account. Whenever the serpent came to Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and God had told them, Don't eat, it, eat of any fruit, of any tree, except for the ones in the middle of the garden. Don't eat of that one. And the devil says, Oh, he didn't say that. You can eat of that. It's okay. And they took and they ate. And their eyes were open, and what, what did they do? They hid. They went back and they hid. A lot of times in our lives, it's the same thing that we do. God says, don't do this. We do it. And we go around and we hide. And we think that God's not going to love me because of what I did. So I'm going to hide and I'm going to keep running. And God's not going to chase me. What do we see right here in this verse? Did they separate themselves from God's love? No, they absolutely did not. They separated themselves from his peace. We go back and we look at Genesis chapter 3. And what we see here in Genesis chapter 3, as soon as I get my Bible turned to it, in verse 8, is they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. You see here in this verse, God didn't, God didn't turn his back on him. He came looking for him. And the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? Do you think that God really needed them to say, hey, we're right here? And God put them trees right there in that that garden. He knew what was behind them. He didn't need Adam and Eve to say, we're right here, Lord. He wanted them to see where they were. He wanted them to be able to say, okay, we've separated ourselves from you, Lord. We've sinned against you. We see you. You're here. You're coming and looking for us and we're going to continue to run because we're scared we got to stop where we are. we got to understand where we are. Like God says, where are you? Where are you? Are you separate from God? Why are you still running? we got to stop running. we got to turn around. When you're lost, we have to know where we are. It's the first thing God wanted them to know is where are you? Second thing that we need to know, is, where do you want to be? The third thing that we need to know is how in the world are we going to get there? In this passage in Genesis chapter 3, God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? We go back and we see Jesus there at the pool of Bethesda with that man. And he asked that man, where do you want to be? Whenever he says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be in that pool? Do you want to find healing? We got to know where we want to be. But we also need to know how to get there. And it's our duty as a congregation to allow the individuals who are hurting to be able to know where the healing comes from. In order for them to find the healing that's in Christ, we have to allow an environment that is consistent with healing. We have to allow a safe place. We have to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger, non-judgmental, regardless of who's coming. And then we, we who hurt, we have to come in contact With God's love, with God's grace, with God's mercy. We, the hurting, we have to understand God again to get to the point where we not only love Him, but we're in love with Him. And we trust Him with every fiber of our being. So often we hide. We see David in Psalm 32 where he hid. Psalm 32 and verse 3. We see David, whenever he says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. We know the effects of hiding from God. We know the effects of hiding our sin. We waste away within ourselves. But if we can go back and we can read and we can see the beauty around it, we can see that he says, how blessed is he in verse 1 of Psalm 32, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with a fever, heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I'll confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The effects of turning around and say, okay, God, I'm right here. I'm not running anymore. I'm not hiding from you anymore. I'm coming out of hiding. That is the forgiveness. That is the acceptance that we who are hurting need to feel. That is the love, the grace, and mercy that many of us have forgotten because of the effects of the sin in our lives. It's the sin that causes us to run, just like it caused Adam and Eve to run. It can make us question God's truthfulness. It can cause us to be torn between wanting to overcome the struggles while believing that God won't love us while we're there in them. And we feel alone. Alienated from God, we're never alone from God's love. One of the most powerful tools that the devil has is his ability to make us feel alone, useless and worthless. And he creeps into our lives with his lies. But we see have to see on top of all of his lies, in Matthew chapter 28, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, we have Jesus there screaming. To all those who feel alone, useless and worthless. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the rest and the peace that we all seek. It might be this morning that you're seeking the rest. It might be this morning that you're tired of running. It might be this morning it's time to start turning around. It all starts here. It all starts now. Jesus is giving you his own invitation. You want rest? He says it's in him. You want peace? The only place to find it is in him. You come to your own pool of Bethesda this morning. The healing's right here in front of you. It's God. And He's just wanting you to come home. It might be this morning that you don't know what to do. You need support. You need strength. You need encouragement. Come down here Friday night at 7 o'clock. Come to one of our recovery meetings. We'd love to have you. We'll be here every Friday night until the Lord comes back, hopefully. Or calls us home, rather. But I'm not worried about Friday. I'm worried about today. Where are you? Are you struggling? Are you hurting? Do you need to strengthen that relationship with God? Do you need to come into that relationship? It may be that you don't know how. You don't know what. Come, let's study with you. Let's study together. It may be that it's time to step into that pool. It may be time that it's time to get that healing. Now's your time. It might be time for you to stop hiding. Now's the opportunity. The invitation has been extended. Now it's your decision to make what you call